0: Hello and welcome to Better Construction with Sean McStay, the podcast where we discuss design and construction techniques, products, and details that lead to a better built environment. Welcome to this week's episode of Better Construction. This week, I am pleased to have on the show with me, Luke Dolan. Luke is the principal at Capital Home Energy, uh, well known in our industry, publishes a uh, list every week or so that builders want to be on of the most airtight homes that they've tested throughout that week. So Luke, welcome to the show. Hey,
1: thanks, Sean. Thanks for having
0: me. Oh, it's great to have you on here. I know that uh, airtightness is increasingly becoming an interesting topic for all builders, not just those kind of focused on, say, Passive House or Net Zero. But now, especially in V.C., where we're both located, it's required by everyone. So I think this is great. Maybe before we jump into airtightness and all that type of thing, I'll give you a second to introduce yourself for people who might not know you.
1: Okay, great. Yeah. So my name is Luke Dolan. My company is Capital Home Energy. I'm a registered energy advisor with Natural Resources Canada, and we're a small energy design firm. I've got about four, four or five full-time um, energy advisors running around um, the lower mainland, Sea to Sky, Whistler, Squamish, Pemberton. Um, we're doing work on Vancouver Island now, doing blower door testing and energy modeling and you know, energy design consultants, right? So we're sustainable building consultants. Uh, been doing it for since 2008. Got started uh, started up with a company in Vancouver got me hired up and trained and then shortly thereafter I started up my own business. It's been a, it's been a blast ever since. Awesome. And so how did you
0: end up kind of in the construction side of things? You know, was that kind of always a plan when you were younger or did you kind of (laughs) serendipitously get in?
1: Well, so I've been in construction, geez, for a long time, like summer jobs um, throughout high school and university. And uh, you know, in the early '90s, I moved out to Whistler. So I'm a, I'm an Ontario guy I originally. Grew up in southern Ontario, um, kitchen in Waterloo. for any of the, any of your listeners that know the area, but um, and then I moved out as a young 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 guy, naive. Uh, moved out to Whistler, ski bum, um, and immediately got into the construction. Uh, that, that's what you did, right? You you worked from essentially April to December uh, working construction, and then you skied which was a great lifestyle. So um, kind of got, kept the whole construction thing going. I, I got involved with a, with a painting company and I became, um, started off as a laborer, you know, making 10 bucks an hour, worked my way up with, and then started running a company. We were the largest um, painting business in uh, in Whistler, painted, um, managed all of Whistler Black Homes, uh facilities um, and that was really great. So it really gave me a, a good eye for construction. Um, I moved back to Ontario for a few years, got involved in renovations, and then came back. And then I wanted to do a career shift uh, and try and. I, re- I was kind of disgusted with the waste in the construction industry, and I was just like I, you know, I've always been a pas- passion for the environment, so really wanted to get involved with uh, something, something to do with the environment, I guess. And then I just sort of I didn't even know the Energy Advisor role existed. And I, it just kind of fell into it. So yeah, so I've been in, I've been involved in construction like almost my entire life. So um, my dad was a bit of a, um, a hard, hard nosed type father, and he had, you know, he had me and my brothers and sister. Uh, he had tools in our hand before we could almost walk. So we, you know, we've been been in that business. Never, I'm not a builder, so I've never built a house from scratch. Although I wish I, it's on the the bucket list. But yeah, um, yeah.
0: awesome. <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, I always find it fascinating to find out how people end up in construction. And uh, it's often not kind of a plan, but it certainly is a is a good career for people to to look at an option for. And I find it interesting career planning wise, what you said about like, you didn't even know that energy advisors existed. And now they've uh, kind of become such an integral part of these uh, new builds that are happening. Um, tell me a little bit about Certified, or as you said, registered energy advisors, um, and some of the different things that they do. Because obviously, people hear about that; they think blower door test, but there's a lot more to it. I think.
1: Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, we used to be called certified energy advisors. We were kind of known as a CEA—that was our sort of title. I mean, and we still sort of are. Like a lot of people will say, "Oh, we need a CEA for this project." or um, We're tied with Natural Resources Canada, so they're the ones who gave us our certification, so to speak. They're like our governing our governing body for our, our industry. And um, but in 2016, the EnerCan redesigned the EnerGuide for Homes program. And they switched. Um, they, they got off uh, the 0 to 100 rating scale for EnerGuide. EnerGuide is just the way that we, we measure the energy efficiency of homes across the country. So they and when they did that in 2016, um, they changed the energy rating system. It's now a consumption-based rating system. It's a scale moving backwards. It's it's a how much energy the house uses, so in gigajoules. And when they did that, they also dropped the certification from our title. Um, we still don't really know why, but they did. Um, and now we're called registered. So we're called registered energy advisors. Um, and yeah, we were energy modelers. We're sitting in front of the computer. Uh, energy modeling and half the time we're out in the field, uh, running around the blower door test, uh, testing houses, but we're, it's a lot more involved than that. Um, we're, you know, we're, our repertoire of skills, um, since when, even when I got involved in the in the business has really expanded. So, you, you know, you've, you really have to know, uh, a lot about construction, about building homes, about, build, about buildings in general. Um, to bring to the table and, you know, to be, uh, servicing your clients properly. So we're, we're consultants, um, verifying things on job sites. We're not just doing air tightness testing, but air tightness is a, is a big component to what we do.
0: Okay. And so if you're say a builder and you've just got a set of plans from an architect, you're building a home for a customer, what's the best time to get the uh, registered energy advisor involved?
1: Uh, that's another good question. Because um, right now, the big, big, uh, the big topic is the integrated design process. So, it's uh, we're trying to get involved a lot earlier in the project because with the building code nowadays, this really changed in 20, uh, 2014, But the building code nowadays, um, local jurisdictions want that house or that building to be completely designed before you're going in for permit. So, gone are the days of well let's just have the house plans ready and then we'll make up the rest as we go. We'll figure out mechanical, we'll figure out windows, we'll figure out all this stuff uh, as the project goes along. Now, now um, they want everything designed upfront, which is smart and the best way to do it. So we want to be involved as early as possible. And that's really the way the industry is moving now. So we're getting involved. We're getting involved now at, at concept stage. So, where there might just be, you know, some concept uh, 3D drawings or something, or some sketches um, we're getting involved. You know, I've got uh, an IDP session tomorrow with a, with a builder where we'll, we're meeting with the clients and we, we start to get inside the client's head, figure out a lot of things that are going on with the project so we can really help uh, add value to that home and hopefully streamline the process throughout the build.
0: Okay. What type of projects would, uh, or we'll guess maybe, what scale of projects would an energy advisor be involved with? Because I imagine on larger scale projects, there'd be some overlap with maybe envelope engineers or certain architectural firms. I know do some of the energy modeling themselves. Um, do all projects have energy advisors are involved, or is it strictly residential?
1: So yeah, there is a lot of overlap. So larger projects. We're primarily involved in Part Nine buildings. Okay, so Part Nine would essentially be a building with a footprint of 600 uh, meters squared or less, or less, so that's 6,000 square feet or less, uh, three stories above grade or less. So, so low-rise multi-unit buildings would be about as large as we get involved with. Um, or we're, we, you know, we're doing row house, row house, townhome complexes. You know, like it be hundreds of units. That's that's fine. We're, we're involved with those single family, duplex, uh, coach house, that kind of stuff. So anything part nine is generally where an energy advisor is going to be involved in. Some energy advisors do part three, uh, larger, you know, quasi commercial residential buildings. Um, but an energy advisor specifically, their role is, is anything it's defined in, uh, under the Guide program. It's basically uh, like a part nine building. So, but there is a lot of overlap where we'll be involved with, projects where there's an envelope consultant, there's a, you know, obviously structural, we'll have architects, a lot of collaboration um, that happens uh, between the whole group, um, especially with some of the larger projects and the more, the more complex, uh, uh, you know, custom homes or the luxury custom homes, where you have a bigger team of consultants involved.
0: Okay. And so now we have to say that same builder that was, you know, pondering whether they should have an energy advisor. Now they're sold. They want an energy advisor and they're going to get you involved early. Uh, what type of information uh, do you want them to have before that maybe that initial meeting uh, when you're talking about the project?
1: Well, it depends on um, what level of service they want. But generally speaking, the base level, we're, you know, we, we do really need a set of house plans to work from. Um, once we can't really dive into the energy modeling until we have that set of house plans with dimensions, window dimensions, um, we need a, we need a baseline idea of, well, what are you thinking for heating system? You know, what do you want? What do you think? Do you have, do you have any window specs, um, yet? A lot of times they don't, um, they might not know what their U values are, but that's okay. We can run with that. But mainly what we need, the biggest thing that we need is a set of house plans um so we can start our energy model and the cool thing is once we get the energy model completed then we can start playing around with um different r values window u values mechanical systems and show the show the benefits of of using different systems or if it's a code compliance thing and let's say they're trying to trying to meet a you know a level in the the step code here in british columbia um we will get back to them with upgrades and be able to tell them okay well you're only hitting step two but you need to hit, hit step three here um let's we've got to figure out a, a solution on how this house is gonna hit that target so generally speaking if we can have a set of house plans that really helps and other than that um there's not much we can do other than add you know we can add our inputs to the way the house is being designed and we can look at it we can talk you know we can review it with the with the architect and talk about design features that we know are going to work and what might not work or what's going to pose a challenge, that kind of stuff.
0: Okay. So that's good to know for sure. Um, And then kind of, I guess the next major interaction, once that modeling is done and the plan is kind of done would be, you know, looking at the opportunities for these blower door tests. Um, I get asked often, you know, how many blower door tests should somebody plan for? Uh, what would your answer be for that? For say a single family home.
1: So, single family home, you should plan for at least two lower door tests. So, we want to do we want to do one at mid construction, okay, and then we're going to do one at final. And the mid construction test, I can't can't tell you how valuable that test is. Um, it's relatively inexpensive for the for the builder to get it done. Um, some jurisdictions, it's actually mandatory. So, in the city of Vancouver, for instance, it's been that test has been. They understood how how um, how how important that test is and they were also one of the first jurisdictions to introduce mandatory or targets targets in 2015 so they actually have a mandatory mid construction test um, where we come in we'll do a mid construction test we're also doing a verification too we're verifying that the window the U values meet code the insulation meet codes and meets code and things like that um, but in other jurisdictions, it is voluntary, even under the step code. But in our company, we really won't take on a project unless we're doing a mid-construction test, because quite frankly, we don't want our clients to fail. And we work with a wide range of builders, and we work with the, with the best of the best, and, and maybe the ones that are not quite there yet. And the best of the best, like they wouldn't even think of not having a mid-construction test, because we always we always catch stuff. It's you're bringing a third set of eyes into the project. Um, You know, we do the tests. We we can find, we find little things. Even with the best of the best, you know, air sealing crews or insulation crews, you're always going to find something. And it's also peace of mind too, right? You want to make sure that at, at the mid-construction phase, you know, you're, you're catching any deficiencies. You're, we can also, we'll have our laptop right there. We can tell you exactly what your air tightness is. Um, and, and we know, like, if, you're, if you have a target, you're close to that target, that's great. We can all sleep well at night. If, uh, you know, if you're way off the target, then we're going to have to come back. And we're going to keep coming back until, until, we get, until we all feel comfortable um, where you are. And then there's the final air tightness test, which at that point, it's kind of do or die. <laughs> it's like, you know, cross your fingers. At that point, let's hope we did everything correctly and, um, you know, nobody did anything stupid. It had kind a hole somewhere and didn't tell anybody and, and it, you know, got drywalled over or something. And because um, now in British Columbia, it's a pass or fail, right? So it's, it's high stakes. So it's, uh, and it, be, and it be, can become quite stressful. And it's not fun when uh, a house doesn't, meet the target at final. it's not fun for
0: everybody that makes sense so, yeah so i guess one question i would have just to clarify for the listeners is what is mid-construction because i've seen blower door tests happening on houses all the way from they have uh sheathing up and the windows aren't even cut out yet to the electrical and plumbing is in to just before drywall so um, where kind of is mid-construction for you guys
1: That's a good good question once again. So it depends on your air barrier. So the the mid-construction test, you know, a lot of times it's called a pre-drywall blower door test. Okay. Um, But it really depends on what your air barrier is. So if you've got an exterior air barrier system, um, the benefits of that is we can get in we can test that building a lot sooner than let's say if you're, you know, you've got a poly, you know, polyethylene uh, air slash vapor barrier system. Um, obviously we're not gonna be able to test that building until the poly's up, uh, but we still want to do it pre-drywall. If you have an exterior air barrier, we can come in and sometimes it's even more optimal to do it before you even, let's say you've got, you know, a stick frame house where you're putting insulation in the walls, but you've got an exterior air barrier. We don't even need that insulation in the walls. We can come and do a blower door test. If you've got all your windows in, um, the windows are all air sealed, uh, doors are in. Air sealed air barrier on the outside is completed. We can come in and do a test and we can identify air leakage problems early in the game and they, you can get that fixed. So, a lot, so most of the times it's done pre drywall. Of course, if you're doing airtight drywall, uh, we can't do uh, as your air barrier, we can't do a pre drywall test. So, that's probably one of the only circumstances when you can't do a pre drywall test is if you're doing air, if your air barrier is, uh, is, is drywall. But most of the times it's done pre-drywall and also it's dependent upon what your air barrier type is.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So yeah. with, with the mid-construction test, I'm curious. I mean, I imagine houses are, uh, you know, one of the what people often say one of the most complex things humans build because they are all very different, even if they look roughly the same. Um, are there any commonalities and failure points for that mid-construction test are there things that you see often that are overlooked or does it tend to be very circumstantial very like uh based on each project
1: no i would take uh i would say yes there are a lot of common places like an experienced energy advisor who's who's doing a lot of mid-construction tests um can walk into a building and start picking out picking out areas right off the bat um, the you know no pun intended with the bat, but um, can start picking out the, <laughs> start picking out the problematic areas. I mean, it's going to be your penetrations, you know, any ducting or plumbing penetrations through through the uh, you know through the outside. Um, depend- once again, it depends on your air barrier system, but we still see a lot of poly if you're you know if you're doing polyethylene um, as your air and vapor barrier, you know, box joists. Are, are typically problematic. Uh, you know, areas like leading into the your ceilings or, or near your attic. Um, those areas are always challenging to get airtight. In uh, anywhere we've got mechanical penetrations or or ducting leading into the attic, that's always an issue. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely always the the usual suspects, but we always are getting surprised at some things and sometimes you cannot find this particular hole or whatever it is. And it can be, it can be frustrating. Um, But most of the times you can, but yeah.
0: Interesting. And so, I mean, failures or issues at at mid construction is relatively fixable. You know, that's not too scary, but I know that you said earlier, the scary thing is if you have a failure at your final blower door test, assuming that person has had a mid-construction test that went well, what are the typical issues that cause you to have a, a solid or, you know, close to solid mid-construction test and then potentially fail your final test?
1: Well, it, it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen um, where you'll go backwards. And I, I do find that the more high-performance homes, like especially a pass, like the passive homes or a net-zero house, with a really low air tightness score, at let's even say at mid construction, like that number will most will go up a little bit. Like when you're like a passive house, when you're going, when you're shooting for like a really low air tightness target, sometimes we'll see that go up. It'll it'll usually happen from somebody like an electrician. I, I don't want to pick on electricians, but somebody poked a hole somewhere. And didn't tell somebody and it didn't get fixed. That's generally what happens. Um, or, or let's say a security or low voltage uh, trades person comes into the, um, comes into the building and uh, does something. It doesn't tell anybody, you know, pokes a hole through some spray foam or pokes a hole through the membrane on the outside or something. It doesn't tell anybody um, that sort of, and it happens. That stuff happens all the time. Like like the real pros um, and the high performance builders, like they'll have, a lot of times they'll have like an airtightness czar. They'll have somebody dedicated on site um, that you, they'll, they'll have signs posted on the job site saying like, if you poke the envelope, you have to go and report it to so-and-so or you got to tell the site super. You got to, you know, Hey, I just did this. Make sure you, somebody comes in, please behind me and, and fixes that mistake. So that's generally what happens. Like it's usually something silly. Somebody does something and then all of a sudden but the consequences could be quite grave. Um, like there's situations like especially in Vancouver where you can't get your final occupancy unless you hit your air tightness score. Um, and that's, that's a whole, you know, that's a, that's a whole bunch of stress right there where you've got clients upset with you. Um, the house is finished. You've got a, you know, beautiful home Then all of a sudden you got to start figuring out where, where this mistake is. You're going to have to start opening up drywall. It can start getting expensive. But it doesn't happen very often, thank, thankfully. Um, but it, it just goes, it just, my advice would be, you know, having somebody on site who's on top of it, um, who's on top of the air tightness, like always making sure that you've got somebody there that if any trade or like any trade who steps on in that, into that um, job site, whether it's a plumber, electrician, whoever, you know, the speaker, the speaker, uh, stereo guy, whatever, they all know that, hey, look, if you put a hole anywhere, you got to come talk to us. So it's, so it's, it's that whole education thing and, uh, it's, it's getting a lot better than let's say it was five years
0: ago. Perfect. Yeah. So, I mean, as I get towards the end of these episodes, I typically ask two questions. And so the first one I'll ask for you is if you could remove any one misconception about whether it be energy modeling or air barrier testing, that type of thing, uh, which one would it be for you? Oh, um,
1: if I could remove,
0: yeah, if you could remove a misconception that people have about lower blower door tests or energy modeling or any of those types of things.
1: Oh, misconception. Well, I guess, uh, the one thing that, and I hope this answers your question properly, but the one thing that I still get and we still get it all the time. Like I I also teach a building science course for the Canadian home builders association and I don't want to stereotype, you know, some of the older builders or the old school builders will always say, well, I don't get this whole air tightness thing. And, you know, we're sealing up these houses too airtight and um, that whole thing. Like, that's getting a little old, but I, you know, I always have patience and I explain why we're doing air tightness testing. Um, it's not just for energy efficiency, it's, there's, a big, uh, there's, a, there's a, uh, a big other component to air tightness, you know, it's durability. We're trying to prevent warm, moist air from getting into our assemblies, creating condensation, creating problems. That's a huge thing with air tightness that a lot of people don't get. Um, and then and you know, I'll also say, well, you know, you're, you're correct in a way because sure, we don't want to be sealing up these homes too tight um, to a point where we don't have proper ventilation. So I'll always talk about, we want to make that house as airtight as we can and then control the amount of um, air that's coming in or out through a, pop, through a properly sized and uh, balanced ventilation system. So kind of try and dispel that myth. Uh, so that's that's one thing, I guess. Um, and the, the, the fun thing about the fun thing about my job, I think, is, is those builders, especially when we do a mid construction test and, you know, we pull out the infrared camera. And then I have one of those builders with me and they start seeing things on the camera. And like they're like, "Holy smokes!" I had no idea, and the, you could see the light bulb going off in their head. And they're like, "Okay, wow! Now I get it. Now I totally understand it." You know, and you can. They, then they, so that that's a really fun thing when you when you turn the uh, turn the, tip the scales on, on some builders. But I guess that would be one misconception: is is the whole airtightness thing, like how airtight can you make a building? That whole argument. That.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's a great answer for sure, and I, I agree with it obviously. But uh, no, that's good to. Good to hear for sure. Uh, the last question I typically ask is a personal interest question. I, I love and collect books. And so I'm curious for you, if someone were to ask you for a book recommendation, personal or professional, which one would it be for you?
1: Well, um, I can't, I, I don't want to lie and say that I didn't know that you were going to ask me these questions because I watched your other uh, podcast episodes. So, um, well, my wife will laugh at me because I'm not reading as much as I should be these days probably spending too much time on youtube but um i do i do have uh this one book it's called the curve of time and it's uh it's an interesting story about a family that sort of that uh travels the coast of vancouver um, sort of sunshine coast and goes up towards uh haida Gwaii um in a sailboat and it's it um really interesting this is the 50th anniversary of the book picked it up on bc ferries one time i was traveling and as you can see it's a really easy read it's not a very thick book but i'm still muscling my way through it but it's really cool um just talking about uh, their adventures and exploring it was the early 1900s so exploring the coast so that's des- through desolation sound and and uh, they were they were um following captain uh, vancouver Vancouver's um, journal. So it's a really interesting story if you're, if you're interested in British Columbia sort of history. Um, there's that. And then professional-wise, um, I thought, I, I have this book on my, I don't know if you can see that or not, but this book um, is called Mus- Musings of an Energy Nerd. So, and it's uh, written by an American, um, American, guy, American guy, Martin Holiday. He's got a, um, what is it, green building advisor, I think it's his, uh, he's got a website where, where they do a lot of, um, building science, uh, type stuff on the, on the website. And I bought this book and I bought everybody in my company, this book, and it's a great, just a really easy read refresher on like sustainable building. Um, even though it's, it is an American book and some of our stuff in Canada, as far as code references are a little bit different, but it's, it's a really, it's a good book. And, um, easy read, good one to have on your desk too. Like I, I reference it quite a bit. So um, a little plug for Martin Holliday's book there too. So,
0: oh. yeah. Perfect. Well, I mean, those are My most great recommendations. I'll definitely uh, check those out. All right. Well, thank you so much, Luke, for being on the show for everyone listening. I'm going to go ahead and put uh, links to uh, Luke's company down below, as well as uh, some of the books and such that we've talked about today. And uh, with that, Luke, have a great rest of your day.
1: Yeah, you too, Sean. Thanks a lot. Appreciate being on the podcast.